Very good morning to you, you wonderful people. My name is Neil, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we lead the church. As Kate said, it's very, very good to see you all this morning. If you are new or visiting, you're very, very welcome. Uh, do go and see uh, the wonderful Helen and Kirsten at the back by the Hello Welcome desk and um, give them your details. You're not signing your life away. You're not going, we're not going to sell. We're not going to sell all your details. Uh, just so that we can stay in touch with you, we want to try and connect you with the church. And if that's this church, great. And if it's another part of the body of Christ, that's fine. But we want to just try and uh, support you and help you and connect with you as best we possibly can. So do uh, see those guys uh, in a second. Uh, offering baskets will come round. They're kind of like um, uh, white basket things. Um, if you're new or visiting, just ignore those. Pass those round. Uh, uh, all the money, we felt like the Lord said a few years ago that uh, all the money that goes into the offering baskets on a Sunday were to give away. And so um, we're giving this money away to support our, um, our international mission partners we work with in, um, in Nepal and in Myanmar and uh, in other places, uh, particularly combating uh, trafficking and trafficking young children. So uh, any money that you put in the baskets the Sunday will go towards that. Does that make sense? What else am I supposed to say? Anything else? No. Nothing else. All right. Uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, doing a series from 1 and 2 Samuel. We've been looking uh, at the heart. And we've looked at having a heart after God. We've looked at having a brave heart. Last week, we looked at having a kind heart, being kind-hearted. And this morning, we're going to look at... Um, having the heart of a friend. And we're going to do that by looking at one of the great friendships in the Bible, that, between, uh, that relationship between uh, David and Jonathan. So we'll start in 1 Samuel 18. It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Let's just pray, shall we, before we go any further? Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the truth and the wisdom that's, that lies within these pages. We ask that you would increase your presence upon us. That you would, um, by your Holy Spirit, you would open up the scriptures to us. That by looking at the scriptures, we would fall more in love with you. And Lord, that you would transform us with ever-increasing glory into the image of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, back in the 19th century, there was a, a small group of the evangelical Anglicans, uh, mostly uh, fairly wealthy, from aristocratic stock, including one of the chaps that you'll be familiar with was uh, a chap called William Wilberforce. And, and this group, they met together uh, for years. Uh, they became great friends. They spurred one another on, um, really with the hope of socially reforming England, particularly around uh, the issue of the slave trade and trying to get the slave trade 
abolished. And this group later became known as the Clapham sect, and uh, they used to meet at a church uh, not too far from here, Holy Trinity Clapham on uh, Clapham Common. And this group of people, they met together, uh, they prayed together, they strategized together, they challenged one another, they encouraged one another, they spurred one another on. And as a result, in no small part, it was through this group of friends that slavery uh, was abolished throughout the empire. Uh, English criminal law was reformed as a result of this group. The Bible Society was established. The Church Missionary Society was formed. Lots of stuff came out of this small group of friends, encouraging one another, spurring one another, praying together. And um, if you look back across Christian history, there there are many instances where these sorts of friendships, these relationships like this, have have literally changed uh, the world. The Greek philosopher Aristotle said this about friendship. He said, friendship is necessary to life, since no one would choose to live without friends, even if he had all other material goods. Friends are a refuge in times of poverty and misfortune. They help to guard the young from error. They help the old in their weakness and help those in the prime of life to perform noble deeds. Friendship is not just necessary. Friendship is noble. Sometimes friendship can be one of those things that we can struggle with. Um, I was always told as a leader in the church um, that you can't be friends with the people that you lead. Uh, I was told you can't be both a pastor uh, and a friend. You're going to be one or the other, but you can't be both. And uh, the Lord's taken me to task on that one over the last few years, and I'm glad uh, that over the last few years I've discovered that's actually not true at all. Um, It's poppycock, um, fortunately. Um, But the reality is we all lead busy lives. Um, We've all got lots of stuff going on in our lives, and many of us have barely kind of got enough time for ourselves, um, let alone our families, let alone friendships. It just feels like there's a lot going on. And I don't know whether it's because we live in London, but um, time and time again, it seems like we make friends only for them to uh, pack up and leave the country, um, or pack up and leave for the country, one of the two. And um, if you've been around this church for a number of years, you will have sent off many friends to church plant and go and join other churches. And so over the years, being part of this church, we will have seen, um, we have seen many, many close friends being sent off, doing kingdom stuff, wonderful stuff, but losing those friendships or those relationships changing, at least. And what happens over a period of time is we begin to guard our hearts, not in a good way, but in a negative way, and we sort of wonder whether we can invest in another relationship. Um, can I share my heart again, only to have it, have it broken? Well, when you look at the Bible, friendship's pretty important. Um, Jesus himself, Jesus had like lots of friends. There were 72 people who seemed to follow him around all of the time. Uh, and then there was a much closer set of relationships that he had with, with the twelve. Uh, They were his friends and disciples. And then there were three that Jesus was especially close to, Peter, James, and John. 
But then if you look at that, there was one, the Apostle John, with whom Jesus seems to be closer than anyone. And Jesus, who models for us this kind of perfect humanity, he had this extensive, substantial network of friends, people with whom he could walk with and talk with and share his heart with and share his life with. We need friends. That's the truth of the matter. We all need friends. If Aristotle is right, friends make life worth living. Uh, Friends move us past mere survival towards the experience of life as it really should be lived. Now, as we talk about having a heart after God, um, and particularly about having a heart for friendship this morning, uh, I'm not talking about how we get our needs met through friendship. I'm not talking about how we can win friends and influence people, how we can get people to kind of get near us so that um, those other people, you know, like, like us and serve us and do the things that we want them to do, right? Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about how we become friends with others so that uh, our egos get boosted. That's just some other weird form of self-interest, okay? That's not what I'm talking about at all. I, I'm talking... This morning, I'm not really talking about how we have friends. I'm talking more about how um, to be a friend. How to be a friend. Aristotle, again, friendship depends more on loving than on being loved. Friendship depends more on loving than on being loved. What we're going to look at this morning is from this relationship between Jonathan and David is that whilst we can't choose um, to have good friends we can certainly choose to be a good friend. And as a fellowship of believers, as an expression of the body of Christ, this is something the Lord wants for every single one of us, so that all of us learn how to be great friends. We all learn how to do relationships with one another really, really well. And I think there are some principles that we can learn from Jonathan and David as to what that friendship might look like. Okay, so 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Good friends... Uh, I think good friends make friendship with God their first priority. So making friends with God is primary and is a key importance. It says this in verse 1, after David had finished talking, we saw Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. One of the things that made these guys such good friends, I believe, was that they shared the same values. They thought the same things were important. And the most important thing for both of them was loving God, first and foremost. That's what really mattered to them. And over and above everything else, they both wanted to love and serve the living God. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Four Loves, said this of friendship. He said, for us, of course, the shared activity and therefore the companionship on which friendship supervenes will not often be a bodily one like hunting or fighting. Uh, It may be a common religion, common studies, a common profession, even a common recreation. All who share it will be our companions. But one or two or three who share something more will be our friends. In this kind of love, as Emerson said, do you love me means do you see the same truth? Or at least do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, perhaps little regarded by others, is of great importance, can be our friend. 
he need not agree with this about the answer. Jonathan and David, they shared this same um, truth, the truth found in loving God, the truth found in the living God. They both shared the same vision. They both wanted to see God's rule and his reign extended across the earth. They, they had the same heart and desire to see God's will done. They had the same passion. They had this love for the person and the purposes of God. David, as we know, was a man after God's own heart, and Jonathan was pursuing God with all that he had, and, and each one of them, they spurred one another on towards this goal. There was a situation when David was being hunted by Jonathan's father, the King Saul. Uh, you see this in 1, uh, 1 Samuel 23. In verse 16, it says this, it says, and, Saul son, uh, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. God. And you see, when we're being a good friend, what it means is that we're not trying to draw the other person to ourselves. Does that make sense? Um, to be a good friend, what we're doing, we're kind of like a signpost. We're actually just pointing our friends to Jesus. We're pointing our friends to God. What we're doing by being a good friend is trying to encourage their love for God. We're trying to encourage and, and, and fuel the fire that's in their heart to see the kingdom come. And a question this morning really would be, uh, how are we helping? How are we encouraging? How are we exhorting the people around us that we see as our friends into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God? Because that's the heart of a friend. Here's the second thing. Uh, friends aim at loving uh, our friends uh, as we love ourselves. We're to love our friends as we love ourselves. Again, in uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 18, after David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. You see it again in, in verse 3. He loved him as himself. You see it in 2 Samuel 20, verse 17. It says, And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved Himself. And what Jonathan's doing here is he's fulfilling this, the second greatest commandment. Uh, you know, we read about it in the Gospels. Jesus is being quizzed by some hotshot lawyer about what are the, what's the greatest commandment. And, and Jesus says, well, the most important one is this, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, um, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And then he goes on to say, and the second is this, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no, there's no greater commandment than these. And, and these two commandments that Jesus talks about, they're, they're connected, they're inextricably linked to one another. They're connected to one another. We can't love um, someone as we love ourselves unless we're first loving God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Because unless Jesus is the most important relationship in our lives, unless Jesus is meeting our needs, unless we are filling ourselves with Jesus, uh, somehow what we're going to do is we're going to try and fill ourselves up by feeding off the people around us. We feed ourselves off the people around us, whether that's our spouse, whether that's our children, whether that's our friends. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be someone's friend, in, in the same way that you've learned 
how to love yourself through loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, you've learned how to nurture and care for yourself because of your love for Jesus. You now go and learn how to nurture and care for somebody else. You see, Jesus is working on the premise that because we know him, because we're in love with him, we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image, and we are learning how to take care of ourselves, how to love ourselves, how to make life work for ourselves. And he's saying, now go and do that with someone else. All that you've learned, freely you've received, freely give. Go and give it all away. If you want to be a friend, help look after somebody else. If you want to be a friend, help somebody else's life work well for them because of all that you've received from your heavenly Father. Are we looking to find ways to make the people in our lives, lives more easy? Are we going out of our way to help other people? Are we going out of our way to help our friends so that their lives can be that little bit easier, that little bit better? Good friends aim at loving their friends as they love themselves. Which leads on to a third principle of friendship. Um, good friends are willing to sacrifice themselves for their friends. Have a look at verse Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And basically what's happening here is Jonathan is, in, in, in taking this stuff off, in laying this down before David, what he's doing is essentially setting aside um, all of his prerogative, all of the symbols of the kingdom, which was rightfully going to be hit. Jonathan is the son of the king, and the kingdom was rightfully going to be his. But Jonathan knew that actually the Lord had raised up David. And what we're seeing here is Jonathan giving the kingdom to David symbolically. These are all the symbols of his right to the throne. And what Jonathan is doing here is he's setting aside his own ambition so that the purposes of God could be fulfilled through the life of David. He recognized that David was the one that God had anointed to be the next king. And so he lays down all of his rights, all of his rights to the throne, the kingdom, in favor of David. And in that moment, Jonathan is a type of Christ. Uh, because what he's doing is a, is a powerful signpost to what Jesus has done. In John 15, it says this, uh, verse 9. This is Jesus. The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus goes on. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. This is my command. Love one another. Simple. And how did Jesus demonstrate his friendship to us? Well, like Jonathan, Jesus strips himself of all of the prerogatives, all of the 
rights that he had as king and heir. Jesus gave up everything for us. In Philippians 2, it says this, Jesus, describing Jesus, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human kindness, and being found uh, in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, what he's doing when he died for us is, is like he, he, he took off his robe, like Jonathan, he took off his robe of righteousness and he gives it and hands it to us. He hands it to each one of us so that we can stand before God in right relationship. He hands us that robe of righteousness so we can put it on ourselves so that we can stand before God clothed in a robe of righteousness. Jesus takes everything that has been placed in his account, if you like, his whole inheritance, every single last bit of it, and he has given it all to us so that we can be justified by faith. Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we instead live as sons and daughters of the living God, and we can cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus is the very incarnation of self-sacrifice. Jesus is the very embodiment of greater love uh, has no one than this than to lay down their life for their friends. That's what Jesus did, very, very literally. He died that we might have life, and that's the gospel. And in this incredible demonstration of friendship, he says to us, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus has laid down his life for his friends, for you and for me. And for us, again, having received so much from him, we want to take that model forward and do exactly the same thing in our relationships with one another, in our friendships with one another. And, and being a good friend means that um, there's going to be a price to pay, that we need to be willing to pay the price. Jonathan paid an enormous price. You know, when he said, basically, David, here's the kingdom. You're the one the Lord's picked, not me. Uh, take the kingdom. Take all of my inheritance. It's yours. Jesus paid an enormous price when he chose to redeem and save those of us who were his enemies and turn us into friends with God. There is a great cost to having the heart of a friend. And I, I wonder how prepared we are sometimes to pay that cost. Because true friendships are expensive. You know, if you want to be a good friend, friendship doesn't come cheap, but it is worth every penny. And this question really is, where are we spending ourselves? Where are we sacrificing our needs to take care of those around us? How much are our friendships costing us? Because that's a good indicator usually of what kind of friend we are. Okay, the last thing. Good friends are friends both publicly and privately. Uh, have a look at verse 3. It says this, Jonathan made a covenant with David. So Jonathan and David, they swore this loyalty, this oath of friendship between the two of them. And it wasn't just, this loyalty and this oath wasn't just something that they kept to when they hung out together, when they spent time together. It was something that they stuck to all the time. It was a serious Commitment. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, 
we read about how Jonathan defends David's reputation to his father, King Saul. It says this in verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He, he took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. Uh, the Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Dad. King. Great one. Just saying. Are we good friends uh, publicly and privately? Are, uh, one way to measure this is um, how do we talk about the people that we say are our friends when they're not there? Be honest. Um, how many times have you heard people say one thing to somebody's face and then heard them say something completely different when they're not around. And we've all done that. We all do that. I'm guilty of that. But it isn't the heart of a friend. It's not what God has for us. It's not God's best for us and for our relationship. It's just not the heart of friendship. Do we defend our friends whenever the opportunity comes? Are we saying things about other people that we aren't actually prepared to say to them ourselves? Because if not, maybe we shouldn't be saying anything at all. Um, David and Jonathan, they've got this covenant loyalty, and it extends uh, to the way that they talk about one another, even when the other isn't there. And, and a key part of friendship is this commitment to speak well of another person, to uphold their reputation, as we saw Jonathan did with Saul to uphold their reputation, to defend them when um, insinuations are being made about their character or their behavior. And just something to remember, if you're with someone who is saying uh, unkind, unnecessary, untrue, that was the motto in our house, that still is, uh, you know, is it kind, is it true, is it necessary? Otherwise, don't say it. We use that with our children a lot. Um, if you're with someone who's saying something that's not kind or not true or not necessary about someone else when you're there and that other person isn't there to present their case or defend themselves, just remember it's a pretty good chance that that same person will be saying similar things about you when you are not there. Let's be a people who stand up who speak up and speak up for our friends in their absence. Um, let's be a people who challenge one another to not do that when friends are absent. Let's, let's be a people who are committed to putting a stop to someone's gossip and slander and bad-mouthing. Don't let other people shape or influence your opinion of others based on their own sinfulness. You know, because that's all it is. It's just sin, and we need to call it out. You know, um, I'm not sure that's quite right. I, I think if the other person were here, they, they might have a different perspective. They might have a different take on it. I, I, I'm not sure we should really be talking about them right now. I'm not sure you really should be saying that about them right now. 
Uh, Kate, years ago, uh, would often find herself at the, at the school gate. <laughs> it was years ago you were at the school gate. What? It was years ago you were at the school gate. Um, last week, when Kate was at the school gate. <laughs> and time and time and time again, uh, the, the, the women at the school gate, not that there were just women at the school gate, there were men as well, but Kate would find herself talking to the women, um, they would try and draw her into um, conversations about moaning about their husbands or their partners. It was one of the like, favorite pastimes of mums at the school gate, moaning about their husbands. Some of them, not all of them, obviously. Just an illustration. Help me out here. And, um, you know, time and again, Kate would get, they try and get, they try and draw her into one of these kind of, you know, doing the guys down conversations, you know. And Kate never, ever came close. I know that, right? <laughs> now, I'm not saying she didn't have good reason, right? She had really good reason. She could have had like a field day. But I 100% know she never, ever got involved in that conversation, not once. Not only would she not get drawn, Kate would also, as gently as she possibly could, confront them and challenge them about the conversations they were having. So um, effectively, she'd be like, you know, what you're doing is not good. Right? This is, uh, don't do this. Don't speak like this. Find, <laughs> come and do the marriage course. <laughs> yes. And it changed the culture at the school gate. Are we loyal to the people we claim are our friends, even when they're not there? When our friends aren't around, are we committed to speaking well of them? Not, no subtle digs, no innuendos. Because um, being a good friend means that we're going to go out of our way to be loyal and kind. We're going to hold our shape both in public and in private. And being a good friend means that we've made a commitment to speak well of this other person. And loyalty doesn't mean to say that we don't speak the truth to our friends. We, we absolutely do. Loyalty means that we uphold the purposes of God in our friends' lives. And sometimes that means we've got to have pretty uncomfortable conversations with our friends. But that's the whole point. Because we love them and they love us. We can have those conversations. We should be having those conversations. We need other people to have those conversations. I need somebody to challenge me or confront me when I'm speaking uh, not well of somebody who's not there. It's like a blind spot. And I can't see it until somebody says, hold on, Neil, can I just, can we just, do you think you should be speaking like that? Because that's how I grow. And I go, oh my gosh, yes, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And then I go to the Lord and say, Lord, what's that about? Why am I doing that? There's something in my heart that needs changing. Come and change it. Loyalty means that we're upholding the purposes of God in our friend's life. Being, being a good friend means that we're committed to stand alongside people, even when they're going through difficult times or they're unpopular or whatever's going on. Being a good friend means that we're committed to stand by someone even when they succeed, they do well and they fly beyond us. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Friendship is one of those um, rare things that moves us beyond and past survival uh, into real living. And the question is, what is, how are we doing as friends? How are we growing in our hearts, in our friendships, in our relationships? Are we making 
friendship with God our first priority? Are we loving our friends as we love ourselves? Are we willing to lay down our lives for our friends? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice something? Are we their advocates, both publicly and privately? And the reason this is so important um, is because there's something about the way that we relate to one another that really matters. And I, I don't really understand it, and I can't really explain it, um, but there seems to be something about the nature of God that is only discovered and encountered in and through the context of our relationships with one another. Does that make sense? Um, it's a bit, I was thinking about it, it's a bit like Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23, that verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I will not fear for you are with me. And there's something about the nature of God that we can only discover by walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And any of you who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that might mean for you, will know that that's true. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's in that place of despair and darkness and loneliness that we actually go, there's hope because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I think it's the same with our relationships. There are, there are some things that we can only discover about the nature of God and about who God is by walking through this life with other people. And that's why there's a thing called the fellowship of the believers, these things called church. That's why we do things like small groups. These things matter because we can't and we won't get it all on our own. Because in isolation, when I'm on my own, I am phenomenal. In my own estimation, do you know what I mean? Like I like, I don't gossip. I don't. I don't sin. All that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? I just don't. Right? Because just, it's just, it's when I'm exposed to other people. It's probably all you people that actually make me sin. You see. <laughs> it's only because of all of you that I realise how sinful I actually am, because I'm so good at deluding myself about how amazing I am when I'm on my own. But thank you for keeping me humble. <laughs> um, we can't and we won't get this all on our own. There are, there are things about God that we discover in and through our relationships with one another, in and through our friendships with another, one another. It's as if God is wanting us to see the face of God through the people in our lives. It's as if God is wanting us to see the nature of God displayed in our lives through a person in our lives like but Jonathan. Uh, see, Jonathan knows that he is not going to be king. It's awesome what he does. He does everything in his power to release David into the fullness of his calling. He can see the anointing is on David, and he blesses that and affirms that and releases it, and he gets out of the way and says, I recognize that, and I want to do everything I possibly can for you to become, David, the person that God has called you to be. And what we're looking for in the lives of the people around us are people who will do that for us. We want people to be doing that for us, and we want to be doing that for other people. Friends around us who might be saying, do you know what? I know it's you, right? It may not actually be me, but it's you. I can see God's anointing on your life. I can see God's calling on your life, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help you get into that place of the fullness of that calling. And we're looking for people who around us who are going to say, do you know what? I'm going to champion 
you. I'm going to champion what God is calling you to do, what God has called you to be. I'm going to call that out as best I possibly can. Because when we experience that in flesh and blood, when there are people in our lives who are doing that for us, who are calling out that very best of us, um, when someone is living like that in front of us, it changes us. It changes the way that we think. And it changes it in a far more powerful way than if you just hear it from me up here on a Sunday. Because what I say here on a Sunday, you'll have forgotten by about 1.30, if it's a good day, right? But when you see it in your life, when you've got somebody in your life who's being like a Jonathan to you, day in, day out, day in, day out, that changes you. We need to be looking for people like Jonathan's in our lives, people who are going to call out what God has put in us. And we need to be Jonathan's in the lives of people around us and call out what God has put in the people around us. If you've got people in your life who are making God and friendship with God their first priority, if you've got people in your life who are loving you the way that they love themselves, if you've got people in your life who are willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives for you. And people who are willing to champion you, both publicly and privately, because they can see what God is championing in you. If you see a person do that with you, if you, if you can do that with another person, then we're starting to live out, we're starting to embody as a body the words of Jesus. You know, um, my command is this, love one another, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this than to lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is what God is calling us into. He's calling us into deeper, more meaningful, more significant relationships. Deeper, more meaningful, more significant friendships. And we need his help. So, let's pray. Why don't you stand it?